episode of the St. George's Rudders Talk, the official podcast of the Church of St. George the Martin Kells River, alongside the chapelries of St. Mark and St. Monica. I am Lindsay Shooters, and I am joined as always by the rector of our parish, the Archdeacon, Father Rodney Whiteman, on this, con- on this continued journey of faith during this time of opportunity. The crisis is still very much with us, but there is opportunities. Father, how are you doing? Are you feeling op- optimistic? Good, af- good afternoon, um, Lindsay. I think, you know, one one is adapting to the, the, the restrictions we are living with. And for me, that's not too bad because you can still live as full a life as you possibly can. Um, and, and also that we're available, what's available to us in this modern age is technology. Mm. So um, I greet all of you out there and trust that you're all well. And um, we are keeping as well as possible under the circumstances and also under the strain of COVID-19 and its um, rampant effects on everyday life. Mm. Yeah, Father, COVID has come to knock on our door in our household. All the adults are infected, myself included. Received my positive test today. Luckily, we are only suffering from mild to moderate um, symptoms. No shortness of breath. No one's having to be rushed to hospital yet. Hopefully, it stays that way. Um, yeah, it's a it's a crazy time to be alive. Like I, we were just talking before we started recording. Now that I haven't gone a day this week without hearing of a COVID fatality within my wider social network, and I think it's imperative that that we just remind people of the seriousness. Um, of this virus, how quickly it does spread, because um, I really thought I was doing everything right, um, wearing a mask, sanitizing incessantly, trying to limit my movements, but I was still going to the gym and most likely being in a <laughs> confined space with other people was not the greatest idea, but we don't know where we got infected, where it came from, nor can we waste the energy on speculating. Um, Father, is there any other developments um, happening in the church right now? Uh, Lindsay, thank you. That gives me an opportunity just to inform um, our congregation of um, correspondence that was sent by the bishop's office after consultation with the archbishop and also with the Ossesan chapter. Let me first just um, uh, share condolences from the parish to all who have died. Um, and also their families as they grieve and mourn. Be assured of our prayers and thoughts for you. Um, We have about four funerals coming up in this next week, so we will um, be praying for those families as well. I also want to do a shout out to all those who celebrated birthdays and wedding anniversaries from the beginning of this month. And I want to say thank you to all of you who graciously sent greetings to me on my birthday on the 12th. Thank you for your love and your prayers. On Monday, the office will open and we will keep you informed as per uh, how the office will be opened. A pledge box will be placed at the entrance gate uh, for pledges and offerings and we will also keep you informed there. We are very grateful to all our parishioners for their holistic support to ensure the parish and diocese continues its mission and ministry. 
Um, and we do say that if you need prayer, counsel, and encouragement, please call us. Um, and we hope in, I'm planning on uh, some Zoom gatherings for prayer and Bible study going forward. And I thought about this, Lindsay, perhaps it'd be good if people sent me current family photos uh, so that I can pray for people by face um, and we could create uh, area collages um, of, of our congregation and hopefully that they will be open to that. With directives from the bishop, according to any church gatherings, the only gatherings we are able to have are funerals with 50 people. That includes the, 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 the worship staff and um, with all the protocols in place. Um, what has been added, though, is that for, even for non-COVID, people who've died of non-COVID illnesses, no coffins will be allowed in the church. Uh, um, that comes right from the government and uh, also numbers will remain at 50 and less and, and uh, even further because the government, uh, our, our president has said um, funerals are death traps. That's how seriously he, he, he worded it. Mm. And um, I can tell you that this morning one of the people that we buried uh, none of the family could attend, um, and so we had a virtual service, and unfortunately, that is the way we have to go in some cases, but it was well received. At least something could be done, and we are thankful to God for that. So please be aware that there's lots of restrictions around funerals to ensure that we do not uh, create a spread, um, and so um, please be aware that when uh, funerals have to be arranged, we will talk to you in the strictest of, of forms, as gently and as kindly as we can. We will. We also given directives about marriages, so no marriages can happen currently. Um, we have had to submit the names of those who applied for marriages before the second lockdown three, and we are now waiting for our. Archbishop to get back to us after conversation mm -hmm. with only the priest, the marriage officer, who is the marriage officer, with the couple and their witnesses. This was when it was under lockdown three, the first time around. So I will inform you later on about that. Um, the vestries, which will also be held in person, again, 50 people, but we're going to try and also do it virtually. So basically no gatherings outside funeral services and no coffins in church, no viewings. These are all the instructions we've received from our bishop. And I can promise you we will work with these protocols as pastorally as we possibly can. And mm -hmm. we are open to receiving your cooperation at all times. So thank you for uh, allowing us to share uh, this with you. Wow, that's, that's a lot of <laughs> considerations and stuff. I, I admire your dedication to your work, um, Father. It must be difficult to manage this all, <laughs> manage a parish well, during this time. At least we are able to connect with people virtually and hopefully... Um, 
there are people who are giving us feedback and their appreciation for what we're doing. So just perhaps on this note, uh, I can just say to people that on Saturdays, Lindsay and I sit with a podcast that is produced for Sunday. And this is to do with looking deeper at the text as we explore our faith in these very, very difficult and critical times. Um, and I hope that you will tune in to that because it's, it's different to the service that will, that is also being produced for Sunday mornings on Facebook. Um, and then on from Monday to Thursday in the evenings, I send out an audio uh, to you of a daily devotion and um, I am grateful for all the feedback that I'm getting and I'm I'm willing to to um, be told what, what I should include and what I should exclude to make it more meaningful to you as well. Thank you Father and if you could just call everyone together into the right mindset with the collective prayer and then we can dive into the reading. Our theme for this week Drawn from the collect is God strengthen us by your spirit, make us worthy of our calling. So I greet you with these words. The Lord who called Samuel is always with you. Let us now commit ourselves to praying the collect for the third Sunday in, in, in Epiphany. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, by your grace alone, you accepted us and called us to your service. Strengthen us by your spirit and make us worthy of our calling through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Father, let me just call you to the idea of the epiphany. Because I've been doing this so much connected to the 6th of January. Because <laughs> it's the baptism yes. of Jesus. It's the visit of the Magi. It's uh, so many things. Um, can you make some sense of, of what the Epiphany is to you as an Archdeacon in the Anglican Church? I think what the first thing I can respond to is that I love the rhythm of the seasons of the church because it focuses on uh, key events in the life of Jesus in his earthly journey with his heavenly mission, mm. his earthly ministry with his heavenly call. And, and Epiphany stands out at this time when what needed to be revealed to the world was revealed in not so a spectacular way, but in the orderliness of the revelation. Mm -hmm. The world was exposed to the will and purpose of God for the world, for the earth, in the embrace of a little baby. And baptism is the in, for, in, in terms of Jesus' baptism, it was his identifying with a world trapped in sin, mm. in the thoughts of sin and all its outcomes, uh, which human beings experience every day and also which creation experiences every day in how we have destroyed forests, 
how animals have become extinct all because of the bad and selfish and greedy behavior of human beings uh, who needed to be saved from that. Mm. Um, I recall the words of Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Song, because mm. John Newton, who wrote it, was a captain on a ship where slavery was a key thing. And God brought him to conviction that this was wrong. And so we are, and so the epiphany is about the amazing grace of God revealed to his world through the person of a little baby mm. who is honored by kings and who in his baptism chose to bear our sins, embrace our broken humanity, and show that he's in solidarity with the people for whom he was going to die on the cross. Mm. His baptism was not about him being adult. It was not about him being a sinner. It was because John baptized him. It was about the fulfillment of the righteousness of God. Mm-hmm. And we must be careful not to read into the texts what we think we should. We must rather take out of the text what it's presenting us with. And mm-hmm. so the the, 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 the the baptism of Jesus was, um, I mean, it's a very significant part of the scripture for me because in that baptism, um, God identifies him as son. Mm. God identifies him as the one who is pleasing to God. So in whatever he was going to do, he was going to bring pleasure to God. Mm. And in him, for those for whom he died, we are called to sonship. As he identifies with us in our sin, we are called to identify in our baptisms with his holiness mm. and, and with his mission. Um, and that we are called like him to live a spirit-filled life that our lives would be uh, governed by the spirit of peace, the spirit of Jesus, the spirit that leads us into the life of holiness. So the epiphany is that revelation mm. in its ordinary, ordinariness comes the revelation of God's will being done on earth as it is in him. Mm. I always thought it was just the finding of the, the little miniature figurine in the king's cake. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was symbolic of an epiphany. Once you yeah. found it, you are surprised. <laughs> you have an epiphany. I got it. I found it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Father, moving on to the gospel, which is according to John chapter 1, verses 43 to 51. Oh, just moving back quickly with the, uh, I, I love the, the contestedness of the story of Jesus' baptism because the sources of information have now been reluctantly accepted as being Mary, um, Jesus himself, and then Jesus' brothers, which is quite an epiphany for me <laughs> because okay. I've always wanted to figure out like did Jesus have siblings and what was their story and the co- yes. yeah that that was the source of information for that but moving on to to the gospel where Jesus is now forming he's calling his apostles and 
he decided to go to Galilee and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city, the city of Andrew and Peter. So Andrew, I like, I like how Andrew's only role is to bring Peter <laughs> to Jesus. Yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, and then like Philip is also just a conduit uh, for Nathaniel to then have his little profound moment um, where Philip found Nathaniel and said to him, we have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like that's that's just a little bit of of humor, which which is always lacking in in Bible texts where um, there's no reason for him to have said anything bad about Nazareth, um, because like what happens with Nazareth and its 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 relevance within the historical context only comes much later on, um, where. Where this is just like someone remarking on someone else from a from a rival city. <laughs> yes. Uh, now, do you have any insights think, into this? Yes. Yes. Um, uh, just perhaps touching on the on the last point you made, um, there was no historical reason why Nazareth would be so special. Hmm. It was a point that Nathaniel, according to the author, tells us picks up. It was the last point made by what Philip had said. Mm. Um, and so in, in this true Israelite who probably knew history and the scriptures, mm. that Nazareth was not the likely place out of which the Messiah would come. So God does something outside of what we as human beings thought we knew about the text. Um, God does something that is totally against our own perception of how things would turn itself out to be. Um, and, it, and, and so one would see in, in, in Philip's response, in Nathaniel's response, can anything good come out of there? brings out the sharpness of Philip's words. Mm. Come and see. Mm. You're wanting to know whether Nazareth is, 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 is special? Well, I'm going to show you if you're willing to come with me to see. And it mm. wasn't about the place. It was about the person associated with Nazareth. And, you know, I, I've never realize this when, when I read this before. John in his gospel actually says, Jesus, son of Joseph. Mm. And that didn't strike me as, what did the author know about mm. the birth narrative of Jesus? Because whenever we speak about birth narratives, we only mention Matthew and Luke. Yeah. But in that line, Jesus, son of Nazareth, um, according to, if I have my understanding of the Greek correctly, son of Joseph was like a genitive um, adjective describing relationship and origin. Mm. Mm. Jesus is related to Joseph. 
who was from Nazareth, and so his origin is from Nazareth. Mm. Um, but that name, Joseph, rang a key thing with me. Was John in that little line telling us about the something of the birth narrative of Jesus, which we normally say he doesn't actually reference to at all? Mm. And was, if we look at, at this, uh, this is a Messianic um, reference uh, text, as well as a call narrative. Mm. The Messianic part of it is the titles that are given to Jesus. Uh, in this text, would Jesus, son of Joseph, be part of a Messianic um, uh, um, reference? Mm. Who Jesus is. That's why Nathaniel said, well, good can come out of, out yeah. of Nazareth. Because in those words, you're not telling me anything special about Nazareth. And Philip says, yes, I am. Come and see. Mm. And then they approach Jesus. Um, and Jesus speaks to Nathaniel. Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel asks him, where did you get to know me? Like, literally, where do you know me from? <laughs> and yeah. Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. So I I, I mentioned a lot um, in Jesus' earlier ministries where there's, there's a level of arrogance to him that I pick up. And I mean, that's easy to understand because, I mean, he was about what 30 years old at the time um yeah. and growing in in his own powers and then he just drops a little bit of like insight into his powers like what were his, his abilities and yeah. then nathaniel because normally like later on in life jesus would be maybe a lot more coy in that sort of interaction um uh, do, do you have any counterpoints to that um, if I understood you correctly, let me just say that I wanted to make reference also to the fact that you say there's not necessarily humor in the biblical text. I think there yeah. is, because but the problem is where you read it, mm. you know, and how we allow it to speak to us, that we can laugh at some of the things that are being said. And yes, when one reads, for example, where where do you get to know me? If I were yeah. to say that to yeah. you, you would see that as disrespectful. Yes. But look, that's a translation of what the original text would have been. Now, John's Gospel was written, I think it was in, in year, the year 80, um, uh, after Christ. Mm. And it was much yeah. later than the three synoptic Gospels. So lots of oral traditions would have been developed around, around this. Um, but in this particular text, it, it does seem as if Nathaniel um, had no knowledge of Jesus per se. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and there could be suspicion read into his or, or read about what he was saying. Um, can anything good come from Nazareth? He's like, he's questioning stuff. Mm. Secondly, um, where do you know me from? Uh, you know, I mean, I mean. So, there is that is was that a defense mechanism to protect himself? You know, mm. how how can you define me as 
a true Israelite um, with no deceit in, in, in you? How can you give me such a CV publicly as I'm approaching you? Uh, mm. And you, you, you know, I have no knowledge of you actually meeting me. And what, what is the word actually says, how did you get to know me? Mm. How, did, how did you attain this knowledge about me? Now, it was very interesting in, in the research I was doing. Somebody says, when Jesus said, I saw you on the fig before, the word before Philip called you. Mm. When you read that in English, you would assume that here was special powers of Jesus, mm. that he could see something even before it actually happened. Yeah. Uh, was John pointing Jesus out as the one who can know, as the one who knows? Um, I don't know whether I'm right or whether I'm helpful in saying when Jesus extended this knowledge, going back to the 43rd verse, it says Jesus decided there was a mm. decisiveness in what he was going to do. And Galilee was the place where his ministry starts and where a whole lot of his ministerial activity happens mm. around Galilee. Um, was, would he have known he'd meet Philip according to John? And would he known he would have understand? Are there things in here that are revealing to us subtly his messianic ability? Mm. Um, and that he took no offense when Nathaniel said to him, you know, well, where did you get to know me? You know, I have no knowledge of you, but where did you get to know me? And it's very interesting that when I looked up the name Nathaniel, it actually means God gives and God has given. Now, I'm not so sure Nathaniel lived up to the meaning of that name in mm. those two questions asked. But what was most, and, 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 and of course, I think Jesus summed it up pretty well, truly an Israelite with no deceit. So he came straight to the point. Mm. He didn't use deception. You know, well, how do you know me? How did you get to know me? And that reveals himself, that reveals how the character of Nathaniel was as he perceived what Jesus said, I saw you before you were called, mm. that triggered off within him such deep faith that we see, or rather that I read in his words, his reply, a creedal statement about Jesus. Mm. In other words, this is who Jesus is to me, even though I never even had a long conversation with him. When he told me, I saw you under the fig tree, he must be special way beyond anybody else I've met. So I'm going to call him rabbi. That's who mm. he is to me, a teacher of Israel of the highest standing. But he's more than a rabbi. You are the son of God. So he says teacher and acknowledges rabbi. So he's obviously somebody that's studious. But then he says you, who Jesus is to him. You are son of God. You are king of Israel. Mm. So teacher of Israel, son of God. Those, those things tell me that he had, he, he developed the creedal set because Jesus' words to him, 
do you believe because I told you that I mm. saw you under the feet? So Jesus interprets that for us as a creedal statement. Our creedal statement is about who God is. The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Baptism Creed. Who is God to us? Who is God for us in a formularized way? Nathaniel was doing that year, I think. Rabbi, so you the teacher of Israel, the one who seeks to teach the way of God. Secondly, you are the son of God. That is the one who is related to God, who is from God, who is God, as John tells us earlier on, and who will bring me into a relationship with God. Mm. And thirdly, you are the king of Israel. This for me as political and social overtone. King of Israel is seen as the one who liberates Israel from its oppressors mm. in the form of David. So this king has a, has a kingdom and kingdom value. And although it's short-sighted to just see him as the king of Israel, it's the starting point. Mm. And therefore... His kingship comes up against every other kingship that does not seek the way of God, nor God's justice, nor God's truth, nor God's understanding of what the world ought to be like, socially, geographically, politically, economically, and so forth. For me, that's a, that, those are crucial, that's a crucial combination of a formula that expresses a creed. Uh, in other words, this is who Jesus is to me. Mm. And therefore, because he is this to me, therefore I am the his follower. Mm. But at that time, I mean, that must have been insurrectionist speak as well. Um, to, oh, to absolutely. Jesus, those kind of titles and... Um, yeah, I, I was just thinking about like as as young men, they would be seen as as rebels. So was Nathaniel maybe already open to the idea of of rising up against the powers that were controlling them? I think Israel was at the time of Jesus's coming. There was heightened, I think, what is theologically called messianic expectations. Hmm. Having been, having experienced oppression, it would seem throughout of the history periodically. Mm. They, the covenant people, kept falling out of grace because of their disobedience. And God was the one who liberated them. And then God brought in, uh, uh, even though they persuaded, it would seem, the whole concept of kingship. Mm. Um, that if they had their own king, they would be a people that is free for, and will be kept protected from the oppressor. But often the kings failed them. Mm. And um, so in a way, having messianic expectations, if you were to voice them whilst you're living under a foreign uh, king kingdom, but also with so-called surrogate kings that were of your own people who were persuaded by Rome, Rome for example, Herod mm. and his brother. They were all, um, you know, they were all like 
like, um, you know, when we were in apartheid times, they brought up the tricameral parliament mm. and they gave each race to look after itself. Yeah. Bantustan and uh, House of Representatives and those were all that kind of leadership created by the vassal king. Mm. Um, it was still an enslavement. But when you give somebody a little bit of power like Gerard, you know how uneasy lied his crown because John's words rattled him. Yeah. Jesus born in the manger rattled him. And so, yes, messianic expectation was in itself very, very um, uh, anti oppression there it was a liberatory expectation mm. but galilee was pretty passive um through that whole time because they i mean they had the city of tiberius and sephorus and they had the they had a heavy um greco-roman influence um at the time and there was very few uprisings every all of like the real stuff was happening down in jerusalem um as as far as i know so, yeah, it was interesting that Jesus would stir that sort of ideology in, in such a pacifist state. But remember, he was going to take the fight to Jerusalem. Mm. Mm. And he had to start in some place gathering momentum. Mm. And how about the calm city? or a supposedly calm area around the Sea of Galilee. Yeah. Um, I suppose it probably had some rural connotations to it as well. Um, and But you see, uh, when you now just said that, instantly it jumped into my mind and heart. You can oppress people physically, mm. but you'll never be able to take out of them the idea of freedom, the longing for liberation. I'm reading a book now by um, Follett, mm-hmm. um, and he, he's, he's placed the story in, um, in Scotland and mm-hmm. in the years when their cold mines were beginning. And um, it was very interesting because uh, the story it almost immediately gives us the, in, 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 the, I mean, children were born from age seven. They had to go and work in the mine. Yeah. And only when they became 21 was the possibility of becoming free. Mm. But there's no guarantee of freedom. And how laws were just made up by local lords. Mm. And this young man writes to a lawyer who informs him that the laws they are living under in that little dorpy was against the law of the country. Mm. He receives this reply. And then it's a Sunday morning church service where the main man is sitting there. And this young man... 22 years old, was struggling with the idea of reading this letter in church. Mm. And at some point when he got the opportunity, he rose up and started talking about this letter. And 
in it was how what they were living under was against the law. And of course, that um, caused havoc in the church and havoc amongst the peasants felt now is our chance. Yeah. But the lords of the land saw their profits dwindling, so they started with oppressive measures. So I'm, I'm there in that book, but it, it captures my imagination that you cannot oppress nor suppress the idea of freedom mm. within humanity. You can oppress them physically, you can try and break them down physically, but their spirits will never give up the idea of liberation and freedom. Mm. Yeah, I've I've been I'm still chewing through um, the Alexander Hamilton um, biography uh, by Ron Chernow, uh, but especially because of the events of the last week um, in the states, I've I've been doing a lot of reading into like revolutionary ideas and that sort of thing, and the Haitian Revolution goes very much undervalued in the historic community because there was an uh, island of, of slaves who rose up and defeated two global superpowers. Mm. And they don't, they don't get enough respect. Um, Absolutely. Uh, but then, uh, just, just coming back to the text, and then Jesus closes by saying, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. I don't understand the image that is being, or the epiphany, if you will, that is being projected here. The heaven opened and the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. I, I'm, I'm really having a mental block here. <laughs> Well, you know, uh, when I read that, um, the image that appeared in my mind was that of Jacob at Bethel mm. when he was dreaming and saw this ladder going up to heaven yeah. with angels ascending and descending. Um, were they coming down from God first before they went up or were they coming up from, up from earth to God and then descended again? Uh, which is the chicken and which is the egg, you can determine mm. that. But it gave me that image, um, recall, um, remember Moses of the law and the prophets wrote about Jesus, son of Joshua? Mm -hmm. And does this allude itself to that dream of Jacob, one of the ancestors, uh, mm. having this vision? What he did say to me was, when Nathaniel, was able to give expression of who Jesus is to him, what he saw in Jesus when he heard what Jesus had told him. And had come up with that, that beautiful, creedal expression of his faith. Mm. Jesus says, did you believe because you saw this great thing? So you mm. saw me, you saw the greatness of who I am, the epiphany about who I am. And if you're able to have seen that, I have so much more to show you. And I interpreted that as being a heavenly vision and an eternal vision. 
But very interestingly, the focus of that vision was also on Jesus now with a new title, Son of Man. Mm. So in this little text, we learn about Jesus' divinity and of Jesus' humanity. He's both the Son of God and the Son of Man. He's both divine and human. But that on the human, the divine works. Through the human, in the human, with the human, the divine is at work. Angels are seen as God's messengers. So there was that contact between the heavens and the earth that God was filtering earth with messages through the one called to, to be God's word, the word made flesh, the word, the heavenly word, which needed the filtering for understandable use in humanity mm. to filter heaven's message through to us. And so Nathaniel was was could see deeper than what just was being shown. And Jesus says, I'm going to help you see even more than what you just see today. So, so faith deepens as God reveals to us in our, in our willingness to see and express faith in what he is showing so that we can see deeper, the deeper things that he wants to show us. But here we must, must be cautious. We can't just assume that everything we think we see is God. We need discernment, prayerful discernment, that what we do see comes from God. Because you were reading about the revolutions um, and, and focus on what was happening in America. But remember, part of this whole thing was the evangelical church's prophets that were rising up every second day telling us that God had shown them that Trump was the man to win. Mm. And that they were seeing um, angels coming from Africa and angels coming from South America to confirm uh, what they believed God, uh, God was wanting to happen, and that is that Trump should be the, the president. And and suddenly their prophecies proved to be wrong. Mm. So we've got to be very cautious. You know, I hear the sound of rain, and, and, mm. and what was that all about? So that was all part of, of the oppressiveness. In Trump, they saw a savior. Mm. But God had already sent the Savior. Unlike Nathaniel, they didn't see Jesus. They saw Trump and they tried to coat him with God. Mm. And they were called out recently by um, Joe on Morning Joe. And he said to them, see, Evangelicals, you are not reading scripture anymore. You have made out of Trump a messianic figure. Mm. And, and that's the lie that was, was gendered. So when Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, because Jesus is about truth. God is about truth. We have to be very discerning, prayerfully discerning, 
that we just don't make what we think is our truth the truth from God. And that's the warning for me in that text. Mm. Jesus will show us we mustn't look for things ourselves. He will reveal it. And I think that's a good point um, to maybe highlight a few other um, whew, I just lost my words now. <laughs> Points of meditation from the, the prayers of the church. In the prayers of the church, one of the things we're asking God about the church is to bless and guide the church. Now, now having to live with being in isolation um, and yet still being the church in lockdown that we continue to seek to live by God's good news. And then also we petition God as we say, you are with us in times of struggle and peace. And in every age, but in our age too, we are we amongst us, there are those who are weak and vulnerable. And we are praying for God to strengthen the hands of those who defend the weak and the vulnerable and to give courage to those who dare to establish a just peace. And then also that God will bring his people into a love and fidelity and more so learning to love God and to love God's church and to be faithful in this time to God is a mother prayer we are asked to pray for. We realize that many people are suffering from anxiety and despondency and are weighed down by concerns and fears. So we hold all of these to God as we pray for rescue and hope and refreshment of peace in our hearts, God's light to shine. And then we pray for those that have died, asking that God to grant them eternal rest and comfort to those who are mourning. The COVID prayer continues to stand, and I will read the shortened version. Author of life, healer of the nations, grant us courage to face this trial of COVID in the second wave. Give us wisdom to find relief as we pray for the vaccines to come, particularly to those that are poorer. Give us faith to live responsibly, especially to ensure the safety of all people. And at the end of it, Lord, we need your salvation. We continue to create awareness prayerfully, advocacy and activism against gender-based violence. And our praise that as God calls young Samuel to ministry, God may help us to listen to his call so that we can bring hope and bandage up the wounds of all who have been abused and dehumanized. And this week, with the unemployed, we pray the prayer for Africa. God may bless Africa, guard our children, guide our leaders, and also give us peace. For Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. And then in conclusion, the commission and blessing 
Go now, listen for the voice of the Lord and follow wherever it leads. Do not be dominated by anything. Allow no room within yourselves for deceit, but offer yourselves as a temple for the Holy Spirit. May God be with you and speak through you. May Christ Jesus be one with you and raise you to life. And may the Holy Spirit dwell within you and make you holy. Let us go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And in the name of Christ we go. Amen. Thank you, Lindsay, and thank you for everyone for tuning in. God bless you till next week.